forever. Dog. So I had a lot of incredible opportunities, but I can tell you unequivocally, hands down and without a doubt, that they hired the right guy for Titanic, that they hired the right guy for What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Welcome to Household Faces, the podcast where a character actor interviews other character actors. I'm your host, John Ross Bowie. You might know me from Speechless, The Big Bang Theory, or an episode of the TV series Big Hero 6, where I played a scientist named Mel. Our guest this episode is Mackenzie Astin, son of John Astin, who is also being released this week. No, whose episode is being dropped this week? He's not being released from anything. He's not a convict. Mackenzie has been on The Magicians, where he did some truly amazing work. He got his start on The Garbage Pail Kids. That's a whole story. And you might also remember him as a late addition to the cast of The Facts of Life. Ooh, spooky. He's a great guy. We had a terrific talk. And I think you're going to get some really great insight into what makes him and indeed his father tick. Please welcome Mackenzie Aston. You prefer Mac? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. Uh, I, it okay. doesn't really matter. I, Mackenzie, I, I always joke. Uh, I, I hear Mackenzie uh, when I uh, forget to take out the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you are in Baltimore. Currently, yes. Yes. In Hamden. Hamden, which is right next to the Hopkins campus, uh, west of it, um, in the northern part of Baltimore City. I'm one of those people who who fears leaving Los Angeles, which, let it be said, I really, I enjoy Los Angeles a lot. I like it here. But I am one of those people like, I can't leave LA. I've got to be in the center of the action. But I'm looking at your resume and... When was the last time you worked in L.A.? You, you're all over the place here. So worked in L.A. Uh, technically uh, w- was just uh, over the winter. And I, I don't even know if it's on the IMDb yet, but uh, I worked on the television show You uh, for Netflix. Um, so, so, so uh, you know, uh, and then before that, it would have been um, probably, um, oh, the, the Seth MacFarlane uh, space uh, vehicle. Uh, oh, the Orville. The Orville, yeah. Um, uh, and before that, uh, maybe episodes of Scandal or How to Get, How to Get Away with Murder. But those those were when I was living after I had moved back to Baltimore. I, I have um, been uh, cheating, if you will, uh, and occasionally uh, it's embarrassing to to admit this as a guy whose um, mother was the president of the union uh, twice. <laughs> uh, but I, I have been able to get away with working as a local um, for parts that are just hiring as a local in Los Angeles. Uh, until this podcast, uh, and now they'll be after me. Now they've now I've outed you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm just looking at a lot of your big credits here. The Magicians doesn't shoot in L.A. Teenage no. Bounty Hunters was Atlanta, right? Yep, yep. Uh, Homeland is all over the goddamn. Place. Homeland was know. wonderful because it was actually uh, in uh, Richmond, Virginia. So that was well, uh, that's not far. Uh, just a little train ride away, uh, which was a great job. I was I was back in Baltimore by the time I booked that, so uh, it was really kind of lovely just to. Hop on a train for two hours, get off a train, and uh, stare at Claire Danes in wonder and awe, <laughs> and then remember that I have to be mad at her. Um, we're going to go in kind of semi chronological order, um, but we're going to start kind of at the almost very beginning, which I'm told is a very good place to start. Excellent. We have a lot of people on this show because we interview a lot of journeyman actors who just kind of go where the work is and right. and who who hop onto shows in the middle 
of the stream when the show has been going for a while and it's established and they just kind of hop on there, um, which is what you did on Facts of Life all those years ago. But to, to do that is nerve wracking no matter what. What is it like to do that when you're, what, 12? I think I think eleven when we when oh uh, the my. first episode that I shot. Um, That's my son's age. That's terrifying. What was that like? So I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like there was there's certain advantages that were just a consequence of the accident of my birth. In that my parents were 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 so successful as actors and so appreciated as actors and were so so open um, with their um, experience on set that it it just you know. Th- that it wasn't unfamiliar. And and also I think I had the advantage of being 11 and thinking my, uh, my caca had no aroma. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and so there's a certain amount of, um, uh, bravado that, uh, that you, that you lose when you realize your shit does sting. Uh, right. <laughs> so I just, I just sort of showed up and, and kind of thought that I was the the funniest guy around. And, and, and thankfully there were, uh, you know, a team of writers who helped, uh, in, encourage, uh, at least, uh, being in the area code of that idea. Um, and so it wasn't, it, it felt, uh, it felt natural. It felt good. I mean, I, I don't remember feeling intimidated. I don't remember feeling, um, uh, I don't remember feeling the things that I learned to feel as I got older and, and appeared on uh, as a guest actor on, or recurred on other people's shows, um, which, you know, maybe is a testament to, to, to some of the wonderful things about being a little kid is that you just don't know um, what you should be thinking. You're just, you just are, you're just connected. You just have that, that sort of built in pre puberty bravado that you, that just can kind of float you through these circumstances. Totally. How was, how was the cast to this young interloper? Were you, <laughs> were you welcomed? Was it, were there particular ones you're like, Oh, I need to watch you. I need to watch you and what you're doing. Were right. There particular. Uh, so, so, I mean, uh, it, as an 11 year old, uh, I, I felt completely welcomed. I felt, uh, totally, uh, embraced. And again, I had the ad- advantage, uh, because of the accident of my birth in that my, my dad had been on the show not that long before the episode in which, uh, I arrived. Uh, so mm-hmm. he, there was a, um, an episode where he and Mrs. Garrett, uh, rekindle an old romance, uh, um, at a, at a, Oh, like a like a summer camp uh, type place. Um, Wait a second, they had done Three Penny Opera together, right? So they, I mean, they had known each other forever uh, by that point. Right. But he came. Charlotte on and Ray did, and and your dad did Three Penny Opera together for years off Broadway. That's for right. years, yeah. Which is there's an amazing picture in uh, in, in Charlotte's book uh, of of you know this this baby cast of tremendously successful uh, you know future. Household names. Uh, Paul Dooley is in there. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like Burgess is in there, but maybe I'm just saying that because you guys were talking about it last week. Um, maybe. Irregardless, which is not a word. Uh, I did have the advantage of of my dad having just been there, so I was welcomed in 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 that manner, in that respect. What What's interesting is later on, uh, as as an adult, and I use finger quotes uh, as an older uh, uh, child. Sure. Uh, I, I I came to discover that. Um, you know, maybe Mac was welcome, but the idea of a new cast member might have ruffled a couple of feathers, which mm. looking back on, I can completely understand. Uh, of course. Because uh, if memory serves, the first uh, year or maybe two years of the Facts of Life had a much larger cast, which was paired back uh, to the core four and Mrs. G. Uh, and so Molly the, Ringwald was in that Molly first, uh, early cast. <laughs> Molly yeah. Ringwald. Although one could argue that uh, uh, getting, um, you know, uh, uh, 
left off the Facts of Life roster m- might have been a good thing for her. Uh, might have been a boost. Been a boost. <laughs> right. So, so at the time, though, it was great, man. They embraced me. You know, I was I was welcome. I, Kim, feel, so most of the girls were out of uh, set school. Kim was the only one that was still having to go to uh, class. And so we were in class together for the first, uh, you know, maybe six or eight episodes that I was on. Um, which helped engender, um, you know, some camaraderie there. We also share the same birthday, uh, May 12th. Huh. So that uh, instantly engenders some camaraderie. Um, but t- uh, to answer uh, p- part of the original question, I also kind of um, uh, home. Is it homed or homed? Is it an N or an M? Homed? Uh, I, I, I've, I, I think it's, well, it depends on the context, but I think you're about to say you homed in on, yeah. on someone. Someone on, kind of like on, you. On, Right on Nancy McKeon, um, really? who who I was also slightly familiar with because she had done uh, an, an after school special with um, my mom and with Sean, uh, my brother Sean, and my oh mom, my God. Uh, the actress uh, Patty Duke. So uh, so there was already a familiarity there. You know, the pool was a lot smaller uh, then, and and so every there were more people that knew other people. There was more overlap uh, with with people that were working. So. Um, so, you know, I, it, it's, it, I, I still have difficulty throwing a rock and not hitting somebody who hasn't worked with one of my members, members of my family. Uh, but back then there were, uh, fewer stones necessary, uh, to hit people that, that had, you know, performed with my mom or worked with my dad or been directed by my dad or yada, yada. So it, it, it it's one of the, the, the real graces of my existence is that people know my folks, people love my folks uh, by and large and my brother now uh, and so there is an instant acceptance of you as a concept uh, you, you you know your 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 life uh, is is uh, uh, you know valued immediately there's you know there's attachment to to who you are or at least you know the the molecules that make you up right right Hey everybody, Tim Heidecker here with huge news. Office Hours Live recorded another episode live. It was one of our great ones with the great Rory Scovel, who's got a new special out on MAX. Oh, yeah. And the Trinity's here, DJ Doug Pound. Yes, hello. And Victor Berger IV. Hi, hi, hi. Can't wait for the fifth. We enjoy the heck out of doing the show, and so will you. If you find us on the podcast app of your choice, now. Go ahead and throw a rock. I worked with Sean in 2019. Uh, fantastic. On on which? Yeah. On what? We he did an arc at the end of uh, Big Bang. Oh, Theory. he did. Of course, he did. That's and, right. And and we uh, we worked together. Did a couple episodes together. And um, uh, uh, spoilers forthcoming. Uh, my character rats him out as a plagiarist and uh, triggers the whole end where uh, where Sheldon gets his Nobel Prize. Um, so we had um, uh, we, we had a, a great week. Anyway, it's multi-camp, so even if you've only got the one scene together, you're just hanging out all week uh, talking and catching up and stuff. And it was uh, it was it was a really it was a it was a fun time. So let's talk about your folks for a moment, John Aston and, and Patty Duke. And um, they was there ever a moment because you've got these two actors 
who are not just in the business. They are respected. They work steadily. Mm -hmm. They had a terrific run of leading roles that then, as they got older, transitioned into reliable supporting roles. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they were, you know, the, the, the podcast is called Household Faces, but they were absolute household names in my house. Um, I was told as a child that there were Munster's families and there were Adams family's families and we are a fucking Adams family family and that's it. There, there um, is a distinction. <laughs> there's a distinction. There's an yeah. absolute distinction and, right. and, it, and about and it speaks to your comedic sensibility. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to get into to trouble with, with anyone, um, you know, with what I'm about to say. And and, and that's another byproduct of growing up with um, uh, parents who are uh, well known is that you, you're awfully careful about what you put out. Uh, I'm sure. Because I'm sure. there is, uh, you know, there's a uh, there's a thing you have to uphold. But uh, I, I feel like there I feel like the the distinction uh, twixt uh, your Adams family and your monsters could could correlate in some ways to your Marx Brothers and your Three Stooges. Exactly. That, you know, in, in that there is there is a different level. It's a different That's kind exactly of That's exactly the parallel. That's exactly it. Right. So there's 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 something and, and they're both funny. They're both uh they're you know, they're both accessible, they're both uh something, but you know, selfishly I would argue there's a little more, I don't know, universal resonance uh uh you know, in in, in your Adams and your Marxes. But I don't want to there's a wit and a subtlety that is missing sometimes from stooges and monsters and then and then your father's um and we talked a little bit about this your dad and i when he was on the on the podcast about his um influence set uh by slash debt to groucho mm -hmm. in the way he approached gomez who was just being yanked off a page you know he was nothing but a, a tiny little drawing that that john sort of dimensionalized what i was going to ask though as you've mm -hmm. got these these parents who are working steadily um did you ever consider doing anything else no well really? uh, 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 not really well uh, i i will um I, you know the answer is yes actually the answer is yes so um so, so the way that I got started was uh, fairly uh, simple and 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 I think universal um, uh, in that uh, it was uh, sibling rivalry, right? So, hmm. so Sean's a couple years older, and ABC approached my mom and asked if if uh, if, if Sean would be interested in playing her son in an after school special, uh, incredibly titled "Please Don't Hit Me, Mom." <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Oh, oh man. my God. It's, and it's, oh, just, they painted with such a delicate brush the it's, after school it's specials. Deep. So he would have been, I think he would have been 10, maybe, maybe 11. And I went down. So they went, to, she, you know, he said yes. She, uh, it was, they were all in. Uh, and I went down to the to the set uh, one day and um, Sean had this fantastic set teacher who had set, uh, set up for him. Um, a scavenger hunt in the backyard of the location house. And so Sean was in school, finger quotes, uh, you know, technically by, by the letter of the law, but he had a, a, you know, a compass and some clues and he was going to un uncover, you know, treasure and shit in this, in this backyard that the, the, the studio teacher had set up. And so that combined with the amount of attention he was getting uh, made me think, well, I'm fucking doing this. I'm doing right. this. I can do this. Let me do this. Uh, and I, you know, uh, begged my parents to let me, uh, you know, join the troop. And it was a couple of years until they were comfortable with uh, letting that happen. Uh, and then uh, I was lucky enough to, to, to start working a ton. So uh, why, was, why there, why their hesitation? Uh, I, th I think, 
I mean, I think in a lot of ways they have an un- they had and have an understanding uh, about how difficult this business can can be um, when one is uh, s- uh, unsuccessful and when one is successful. Um, right. You know, there's there's stuff to navigate on both sides of that you know peninsula, whatever. <laughs> um, so uh, so so I think they you know they were just and and also I think they wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to get my feelings hurt and and that I could. Um, you know, their observations of me were much more objective than my own. So I think they were probably probably waiting until I was, you know, capable or at least could appear capable. So a couple of years later, I, I ended up getting a, an audition for a, a part in a TV movie. It didn't get the part that I auditioned for, but got a smaller part um, in it. Uh, and and that sort of, you know, uh, started things off. Uh, and then I did a few guest spots on a couple of different shows, two different episodes of Hotel, which was actually interesting because I was playing a different part. One of those episodes was actually with my mom. Um, with hotel her- was an interesting uh, show. That was uh, James Brolin runs a hotel and it was sort of like a slightly more serious love boat, right? Like every the stories right. were the guests that came in every week, right? Ex- exactly. It was from that, like, that ABC brand of like, it's almost an anthology series. Precisely. They were really popular in the 80s. Right. Okay. Right. It takes place in the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco, which is a ridiculously beautiful, uh, you know, uh, a building that they recreated on, you know, they, they recreated almost the entire lobby uh, on, on uh, you know, on, I think on maybe on stage 16 even. No, it couldn't have been that. Uh, on, on, on stage, at, uh, you know, a, a stage at Warner Brothers. Uh, James Brolin, Connie Selica, um, um, uh, Sherry Belafonte. Uh, That's right. Uh, really a terrific um a bunch of coconuts uh, and and to go you know work playing my mom's uh son was you know fairly easy to do you know there are intricacies to the plot points within that particular episode that ended up having um incredible resonance later on in Sean in my actual life um How so? and, uh, oh, oh here we go uh so so Sean's biological father turns out uh not to be uh my biological father we have different bio dads same mom different bio dads but we grew up under the impression that uh, that uh, John was both of our bio dads, and th- and then uh, came to find out in our uh, in our you know middle to late teens that that wasn't actually true that Sean's bio dad was someone else, um, but that you know and, and Sean has so beautifully um, taken uh, what's the word uh, control stock um, ownership of this um, experience in that he says you know look dad took me to Little League. Dad taught me to play baseball. That's my dad. He's talking about John. Yeah. But as it turned out, um, <laughs> Sean's bio dad wasn't the person my mom thought it was, neither. Whoa. <laughs> there was a third um, dude, which if you, you know, if you know the family and you if have uh, been around our trials and tribulations for a while and you look at uh, certain pictures in my mom's autobiography from 1985, you can go, oh, yeah, duh. Obviously, that's his bio dad. Anywho, the particulars mm-hmm. of the episode of Hotel that I did with my mom um, were uh, that the patronage of uh, of, of her son uh, turned out to be um, uh, uh, false. Uh, I think I think the character I played had to get a, a bone marrow transplant, and they suddenly uh, discovered that um, the donor, uh, the, the father, could not donate because it wasn't a match, and that the blood types were such that it couldn't have been his actual father. Um, and then uh, my mom's character has to reconnect with an old love who it turns out to be the the bio dad. And so I, I wondered years and years later uh, if the, the, the people who were writing the episode had 
uh, any idea what was going on in my mom's life and figured, let's do this. Or if my mom, you know, read that and was like, ah, fuck it, let's just go for it. You know, it's, you know, it's a paycheck. Well, it's close but, to home, but let's do it. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so, so a couple episodes of a hotel, uh, an episode of a show called Finder of Lost Loves, which uh, just has. Whoa, so much- I remember Finder of Lost Loves. Wait a second. Tony Franciosa. Yes. That's oh, right. my God. That right. I'm having a full Obi-Wan. That's a name <laughs> I haven't heard in quite some time <laughs> moment here. Totally. Um, I totally remember Finder of Lost Loves. Man, I watched a lot of fucking TV in the 80s, man. Go I ahead. Mean, we did. Right. And there was a limited selection. We had three channels. And so we were watching. You know, we were watching those things unless unless dad had a Betamax or a, a VHS and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, so then I ended up on Facts of Life and Facts of Life was a great four year run or four season run, uh, um, you know, where I got to be a regular for a couple of seasons and uh, had a tremendous, you know, life changing experience. Life changing. How was it? Li- how was it working with young Clooney? Oh, man. Are you kidding me? That guy, you could the the room actually got cooler 15 minutes before he arrived. Like his, the bubble of cool that surrounds him is so, so large and palpable. You could, I mean, you could feel the thing. It would be like, oh, oh, Clooney will be here. George will be here in about 10 minutes. Uh, he was the just temperature amazing. Just, changed. just um, so amazing and wonderful and open and free and funny and clever and engaging and smart. And, you know, you idolize the guy. Every one of us, you know, me as a young uh, man, finger quotes as a kid, and then and then the girls who 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 saw this guy just waltz in with you know tremendous character, tremendous charm, tremendous swagger, uh, who made us all laugh consistently. You know, just there's a couple episodes where you can he- where I can hear me trying to mimic Clooney's delivery um, because I think it's funny. Uh, you know, so the character Andy is suddenly doing the character George. And uh, and it's actually not as funny as I thought it was. But I know that it's me trying to do George because George is so funny. It was just such a I mean, it's a dreamboat. He's an absolute dreamboat. He he amplifies your existence. He makes it more fun to be alive when you're around him. That's that's very similar to what I've heard from the people who work with him, even in, in small capacities, people who weren't necessarily regulars with him, mm-hmm. but who have done small roles in in Clooney films have always said that he's welcoming, knows everybody's name, yeah. just a generally uh, positive force on set. And Paul Haggis was on staff. Crazy, uh, right? At the time. Paul Crazy. Haggis, who, who wrote and directed the movie Crash, won an Oscar for that. Right. He was the, he was then, you know, he was a, 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 a what's the word? A, a prominent yeah, member of Scientology. And, uh, yeah, and he then left Scientology a, very vocally and uh, really slammed the door on his way out. Fascinating <laughs> guy. Was he just like another quiet writer for hire over there? Or do you have any recollection of the guy? Oh, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he was he was one of a, of a team of, of, of writers. That, and, and there were there were new writers that came in, uh, uh, and, I, and I guess what would be my the, the third season that I was along, and they were a little bit younger and a little bit hipper and a little bit cooler. Um, and 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 Paul was actually, um, you know, we we hit it off. I, I I think there was some connection probably with my mom. And again, you know, I, I am graced with this waltz through life where people are I- immediately interested. Um, because of my connection to Gomez fucking Adams yeah, sure. <laughs> and, and, and Helen, you know, and the lady that won an Oscar for playing Helen Keller and Patty, you know, so it's just lucky. Um, but we, we got on great. Paul, Paul, Paul was actually, uh, this is a funny story. He was, um, he, he was, he helped set up, uh, a, a bunch of, um, uh, get togethers for a say no to drugs campaign. 
um, which which I, I think is uh, you know I don't know if that was part of uh, part of his uh, uh, beliefs at the time or just something that mm-hmm. he was doing uh, that seemed like a good idea. But there was I can remember a party at his house, um, w- uh, you know, where where with a bunch of you know uh, cameras and where we're all sort of you know pledging to say to say no to drugs. Uh, and I, I I giggle a little when I say it because I can remember a picture from that particular party where it's like me me Doherty, Haim, Feldman like the like the four of us with our arms around each other like hell yeah we're gonna do good and then like, you know it's 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 tragic because we we lost uh, Corey Haim I know Corey Feldman has dealt with a ton of shit uh, I know Ms Doherty has dealt with a ton of shit I spent some time in rehab so like it's just funny to think back at this. There's, you know, there's pictures online of this big say no to drugs party. And you're like, oh, nope. Yep. Oh, him. Yep. That one, too. Uh, oh, man. But the thing that went around amongst the parents that was causing um, uh, that, that that got hearts a flutter and that got people a little nervous and, and parents concerned was not the drug thing. And and who knows who was stepping outside to smoke a joint or whatever. But the fact that somebody found out that, that Paul Haggis was in Scientology. And it was like, oh, this is a thing that we have to be careful of uh, keeping the kids away from. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So um, nothing uh, obviously ever uh, came of that. There was never any anything untoward in terms of um, proselytizing or, or, or uh, you know, trying to get people involved or whatever. Um, he was just a lot of fun and a good writer and, you know, wrote some funny, funny stuff. Uh, so yeah, Paul, I remember as well. We're going to bounce around a little bit. Um, Great, that's chronologically like a conversation with me. But since you you brought up um, a stint in rehab, I want to talk for a moment about your work on The Magicians. Oh, yeah. Um, which is a really interesting part. You play a sober counselor at a, at a rehab where one of the characters ends up. And what I'm noticing, and I'm going to about to speak in, in very, very broad generalities, but as I'm looking through your career as an adult, there's this tendency to like cast... Mackenzie Aston as this um, very sweet kind of buttoned down all American guy who is holding on to a couple of not necessarily dark, but some very fucking interesting secrets. Right. Um, And it works so well just because of how you present as, you know, a young congressman to to then give you this kind of like, oh, surprise, there's something underneath here. And the reveal in in Magicians is that you are one yourself. Right. I want to talk a little bit about the way the script handles the idea of magic vis-a-vis drugs, how, how it connects magic with sobriety, how it connects uh, magic and drug use. Um, I'm, I'm having trouble explaining the, the, the character's sort of thesis that he lays out. The character um, that I played. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, well, it was interesting because the part that I auditioned for was exactly as you described. He was uh, he was, uh, you know, a, a counselor at a rehab, uh, a chaplain at a rehab, I think was even the way. Uh, way That's right, started. actually. Yeah, because there's a lot of uh, he's, he's on a very spiritual kick and he's trying to connect her to a higher power. Right. Right. Um, Which was something uh, that a, a God of her own understanding. 
I say, tipping my hand a little bit. Sure. Um, <laughs> well, in the context of the story, uh, the character uh, that I auditioned for, that I played for three or four episodes, uh, ends up uh, making a mistake and, and summoning a trickster god who uh, tears uh, his uh, heart out, uh, takes a bite of it, uh, throws it off to the side, and then assumes the physical form of uh, Richard, the original character, uh, and right. then goes about being Reynard, the trickster god, uh, who does a lot of terrible fucking things to a lot of t- uh, to a lot of people for a season and a half or two seasons, um, which was an interesting uh, experience for me as an actor and also sure. as a person to to discover a few episodes in that the part that I auditioned for was going to be different than the one that I was going to play, and that's a whole nother uh, kettle of worms which I'll get to. Um, but the original character, Richard's experience with drug addiction and, uh, and, and the loss of his, his son, he, he, uh, the character, uh, the characters, uh, I guess it's about seven or maybe eight years prior, um, uh, uh, either fell asleep or, or, or left, yeah, no, left his son in a hot car, uh, while he was going off to score drugs or while he was, uh, high on heroin, uh, and lost his child. Uh, and so um, one of the tenets of that show that I, th- that I think is actually pretty powerful and pretty positive uh, is that a lot of magic comes from pain. And so um, I, I'm not sure how much the character of Richard des- described this in, in words as plain as I hope to say right now. But the idea is that it's, it's only through uh, a deep, deep, deep trauma that we can come to recognize the strength that is truly inherent in us as we overcome those things that were done unto us, um, you know, either by others or by circumstance. Um, and, and that there is, and, and I, I don't know that they paint with this broad a stroke, but it's my interpretation um, that there is real magic. And I don't mean conjuring and spells and shit like that. I mean, there is real um, quantifiable magic in surviving trauma, in getting past trauma, in, in putting yourself in the position to allow what occurred to you to become uh, to become a sword for you, to become um, something that makes you stronger. Rather, superpower than, of sorts. Uh, ab- absolutely, and it wasn't the experience of the experience of shooting that show. Uh, is in some ways sort of how I came to that understanding. So I had said for years and years and years. As an actor, I try to be responsible about the parts that I play. I worry about the content that we're putting out there. I worry. I didn't want, and I. this was a phrase that I used a ton in my 20s. I don't want someone coming up to me at a party and saying, hey, man, when you raped that girl in that movie, that was really great. Mm. Now, you know, obviously somebody's not going to say exactly that, but that was sort of my thinking. And, And maybe it's my own fears of the dark side, fears of. Uh, you know, identifying that with uh, that exists within me, uh, that is capable of those sorts of things. Anywho, uh, I get this part as uh, you know the chaplain at a rehab, which is great because I was four years out of rehab myself at the time, so it felt like a good fit. Right. Um, and uh, and a couple episodes in, I start passing people in the hallway, and they say, "Hey, have you read uh, episode uh, one ten? And I say, uh, "No, uh, no, I haven't." They go, "Oh, uh, oh, okay." Uh, and I'd pass somebody else say, hey, man, have you seen 110? And I go, no, 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 I haven't. Uh, they haven't given it. I don't know it. And they'd be like, oh, geez. Okay. Okay. So eventually I was That's like. That's a terrifying I, feeling. <laughs> it's right. That's so a terrifying feeling. I mean, I, I figured the character was going to die, right? Because that's what happens. You you introduce a character that people like, that you think is a nice guy. He's 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 friendly. He's, he's rooting for the stars of the show. He's helping the stars of the show get better at whatever it is they want to do. And then you kill him off so you can see the stars ache. 
um, right. or see the lead uh, characters egg. Uh, but it wasn't that. Uh, it, the producers pulled me aside at a certain point and said, so here's what happens. Uh, you're going to die. Richard's going to die. The fox god is going to assume your body. And then there is a violent rape of um, uh, Julia, uh, Stella Maeve's uh, character. Uh, to which I said, uh, okay. And suddenly I found myself in a position where, I mean, I was, contracts were signed, man. I was like, I'm, I'm in. There's no getting out of this. But I'm, I'm, I'm suddenly, in a way, f- forced to portray some behavior that I find abhorrent and that I fear is, you know, uh, going to be responsible for further traumas in other people's lives and shit in my own. Like, it's gnarly stuff, right? So yeah. we go to shoot. We shoot the scene. It's fucking gnarly. Well, well, do you let's back up and I, I we yeah. tend to get kind of technical and and on set on this podcast. Hey, can I swear? Oh God, yes. Okay. Oh God, yes. Good. Um, okay, sorry, yeah, sorry. no, no, we're 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 fine. Um, my um, when you are shooting a scene like that, is there a stunt coordinator? Is there an intimacy coordinator? Uh, is there someone to make sure? Because my biggest fear in something like that is like I'm going to make this female actor super uncomfortable and i've never done anything like that but even just a kissing scene i'd love to have like an arbitrator outside to be like is this okay is everything all right is everyone comfortable so this is so 2015 uh, is when we uh, filmed it and and so I, I i think there may have been an intimacy coordinator I, I'm not rec- recalling uh, directly that person uh, right now. I know they weren't as commonplace in 2015 as they are now. They are now. Right. Yeah. What was interesting about the experience, because I'm much like yourself, like you don't want to offend somebody. You don't want to do something. Um, I mean, it's a horrible, 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 horrible thing is rape. It yeah. is probably the worst thing. You I, Can you think of a thing on the planet that's worse than that? That's hard. It's like awful. So, so but to, to have to. So, so, so we ended, so the way it was shot, uh, it was choreographed. We agreed on what was, but choreographed, not uh, obviously at, you know, full speed or whatever. We agreed where the camera cameras were going to be. We agreed that it was, we were going to try to do it as, as few times as possible, uh, because of the caustic nature of it. Um, and it happened that all the cameras were on one side of the room and they had a couple, I think maybe even three sizes going, which is good in order to, you know, get all, all that they need. And so we did the first take. Um, and this is where Stella Maeve uh, gets uh, huge, huge props because sh- uh, she was strong enough to say to me, Mac, the actor, hey, dude, you got to enjoy it. Because my thing, Mac, the actor, was I don't want to be doing this. And it was yeah. obvious. You know what I mean? I don't know about obvious, but sh- she could tell. And mm-hmm. so she gave me permission in that moment to, you know, to do what was, I guess, necessary for the, for the scene and the second take uh, was better for the for the for the for the show I, there may have been a third take I'm not really even sure um and then it was done and thank goodness for that yeah but then Mr. Bowie <clears throat> man and this will get me <laughs> you get two Astons crying <laughs> on your show <laughs> uh, it happened that there was a member of the crew that was just day playing that was present um and this person uh, was helping uh, me because the character was all covered in, uh, you know, blood and mess and stuff. Was helping me uh, de blood and mess when we were wrapped. And this uh, person s- uh, said to me, um, "It's a very important thing that you just did." And and I was in another 
on another planet, you know, feeling guilt and that stuff. I said, I said, what? They said, it's a very important thing that you just did. I said, what do you mean? They said, it's important for people to whom that has happened in real life to experience it outside themselves to help them process what happened to them. Oh, wow. so, you know, I was weeping immediately because of the, the, the unbelievable truth of that statement, the unbelievable luck and, and uh, good fortune to be in a position where somebody with whom I was working was able to s say that to me, to enunciate that to me, f for me to understand that. But also, like, what an amazing thing for that person to have the, the bravery to say in that moment. Um, and so, it, so, so, so I went from the guy who was thinking, uh, I don't want to be somebody at a party who says, hey, when you raped that girl in that scene, that was really great. To before we shot it, thinking, "Ooh, I want to do a good job as an actor." Ooh, I kind of hope. Well, somebody says to me at a party when you write that person. To someone who recognizes the true value of art and the true magic in that pain, by helping somebody get through their own experience by depicting it in some manner on a screen, if if there's a scintilla of that being possible. And, and it's possible that someone could have been helped in some way. Holy fucking shit. I don't deserve any of this. Mm. Like, wow, it's crazy. Right. And I know they put a disclaimer up when they, and, and I'm grateful that they did, you know, that, that, that episode was very um, well protected. The viewers were very well protected around um, the airing of that episode uh, because I, I think the, you know, the show wanted to exercise a great deal of caution um, with the people that would be watching it. Mm -hmm. But holy shit, what a moment for, you know, for this guy. That's interesting because it almost gives the lie to the idea of content warnings to a certain extent. You know, I mean, I'm glad, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that they warned people that something like this is going to happen in the episode. Right. But at the same time, for this woman who it sounds like had experienced something like that in her own life to appreciate and find value in its depiction Ugh. in art um, is, is really interesting. I mean, I, I'm always of the opinion that if I can hear about another person's trauma, it's going to help me deal with my own. It's going to make me feel it, at the very bare minimum less alone in my trauma. Certainly. Um, and but I know there's people who are just like I can't go there. I and, just and, simply cannot go there. Yeah, respectfully so because absolutely, um, you know. And it oh, it was such a bizarre, and amazing and wonderful um, experience. It it it, it happened that the show um, that particular episode aired. Uh, I I I think two days after my mom uh, died. Oh God. Um, and so it was um, also particularly intense uh, to to be going through that <laughs> going through that experience, um, and, and, you know, uh, while this thing was happening uh, on on screen, uh, you know, it, it was. Huh, I mean, I am of the belief that there are no accidents; that it's all sort of happening the way that it's supposed to, and and I'm also in you know in in an incredibly privileged position to afford that um opinion uh to be able to 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 you know uh, to pay my rent and to be fed and and to and to be able to get work 
uh, and and not deal with uh, problems that are much beyond my experience. So I'm I'm privileged enough to be able to say things happen for a reason. Um, but <laughs> um, that particular that particular week, uh, oof, that was a week. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. I uh, were you? Well, no, you wouldn't have been working on the show when your mom. No, passed. we had yeah, we had finished. I, th- I think we wrapped the the season in. I want to say January of 2016, and uh, and that episode uh, uh, aired in March of of, uh, of 2016. Yeah, maybe, maybe even yeah. yeah, maybe even uh, maybe even the first couple of days of April, because mom mom passed away on the 29th. Wow. March. Yeah. Wow. My um. My mother also had the kindness of heart to pass while I was on hiatus. Mm. Um, I uh, uh, it's you know, the small the small favors. They no, go ahead. I'm, I I I uh, she would have found it funny too. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know it's it's a it's a tough thing losing a mom and to process especially and I, and it's got to be tougher for someone like you where your mom's in the public eye and you have to have to slash get to share your grief to a certain extent. Oh boy. Like, you know, like my mom was my mom and, you know, Eileen Bowie had not been a a public figure since the early 1960s. And I was allowed to just like take ownership. I'm an only child. This is my grief. It had to have been, I didn't expect to talk about this, but it had to have been harder for you to, for everybody like three times the amount of people who express their condolences you've got strangers reaching out to you i mean the the there are a couple there are several a thousand truths uh to this um uh, yes it's a lot right so there's and but there's but but it's the other side of that that grace coin and in a lot of ways it's the same side of that you know um good good fortune you know the 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 number of people that that reached out was astounding. Uh, both, you know, friends, people, like people that I forgot to have my number from like, you know, 25 years ago, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sending, sending incredibly beautiful and sweet texts. And then, you know, the world of Twitter, uh, which is the, the only toe I have in the social medias, uh, um, you know, was just extraordinarily kind, extraordinarily beautiful. There's, you know, people, people care and, and, and people by and large, um, you know, are coming from a good place. And, and so it was, it was an astounding outpouring of, of, of really lovely sentiment from a ton of, ton of people. And, you know, my, my mom's, the second half of my mom's career was less about appearing as an actress and stuff and more about um, uh, speaking engagements, um, encouraging uh, mental health awareness. Um, she was super candid in her autobiography in in the eighties about her diagnosis with what was then called manic depression and is now called bipolar disorder. Bipolar, yes. um, and and was you know that book was I, I, there's countless people who have said to me, "Well, your mom's book saved my cousin's life. Your mom's book mm-hmm. saved my daughter's life. Your mom's book saved my life." Uh, and so, <clears throat> not only was there an outpouring of people who um, liked the theme song from the Patty Duke show, <laughs> but also people whose lives had been uh, quantifiably enriched by her presence on the planet. And so, uh, and her candor. And so, and so, you know, the, the, the resonance around her um, expansion, I like to call it when she expanded, when she, you know, got larger than the five foot frame um, and, you know, encompassed the whole of the planet for a moment there, like uh, th- that resonance was incredible. It's also true that um, there was 
but part of me that was like, fuck, I have to answer another text. Fuck. And, and, and I, like, I knew like, oh yes, I have to express gratitude because this person's expressing gratitude. But like, you know, when you get to like a thousand texts, you're like, Ooh, my thumbs hurt. That's gotta be exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, all for good reason and all for good sure. reason. And, and we wouldn't be having this conversation if my mom wasn't famous. Maybe. So like, you know what I mean? Like I, I don't, I wouldn't be in the business of show to answer that question from way earlier when the facts of life about, about whether I wanted to do anything else at one point. When yes. We got off of that. Life, yeah. Uh, when the facts of life finished, um, I learned that the character Andy that I played was not going to be involved in the potential spinoff, which was where Blair had become the headmistress of Eastland school. Um, and, and it's, it seemed reasonable in, in my mind that, uh, Andy, the girl crazy, uh, orphan, um, would probably go to that school. Uh, the, the, the spinoff episode, the, there was a, a two part episode. They introduced what would have been the cast of the spinoff, which included Mayim Bialik, mm. Seth Green, Juliette Lewis, Oh my God. Uh, Marissa Mendenhall, uh, who God, I had a crush on <laughs> David Mendenhall's uh, little sister. Oh, Marissa Mendenhall. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, um, which was a pretty good cast of young actors. I, uh, I learned the night before the final episode, the night we were taping the second, the penultimate episode is when I learned that I wasn't in the final episode, nor would the character of Andy be, uh, involved in any sort of spinoff, um, which, hurt real bad um for several reasons one i felt like within the context of the narrative of the show it didn't make sense like come mm. on i mean he's there he's you that a age. built-in student right here yeah. in the fucking school um and i don't know what the reasoning was behind it i may have been making too much money at that point uh to put into a, another i don't i don't i really don't know why it didn't happen but to find out you, I, I don't know if they still do it like this but you get the script for the next episode the night you tape uh, the episode you're on that's how they did it so we taped on tuesday nights so you get yeah. you get the script for wednesday's read through you know sort of between shows uh, and that's when i discovered it so i so my feelings were hurt and i went back to school uh full time how old are you now 15 uh, i would have been 14 yeah 14 just about to turn 15 14. and my determination was uh uh fuck showbiz uh, <laughs> fuck this kind of chicanery um, this is exactly what uh, the great wit Wilson Misner meant when he said about Hollywood, it's a trip through a sewer in a glass bottom boat. Um, I don't, I, I don't. And plus my mom, you know, arguably missed out on a lot of her childhood because she had these crazy managers that made her work all the time. Granted, uh, there were benefits, but I was like, nope, fuck you guys. I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to play baseball and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be a full-time student. Um, and then I, so I went to high school as a you know full-time student and fell in love with a, a journalism teacher and started to write for the uh, the paper the and ended up editing the paper for uh, two years in high school, uh, which was nationally ranked. I'd like to say so okay. good. We had a good we had a good paper. Uh, and so for a minute there, I was going to. What be high school did you go to? Uni, University High, West LA. Yeah, uh, sure. Okay, Barrington and Wilshire. Uh, I com I completely know it. I, I uh, it's got this amazing uh, suburban looking uh, uh, track, um, yeah. and I've shot there a dozen oh, times. I completely great, yeah. know that, that that campus. That's so funny. Yeah, um, uh, my mom uh, shot on that uh, campus in the '60s as well. Um, 
and it's a beautiful campus. There, there are natural springs that 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 come through. Like it used to be a place of of of, of meeting for the Tongva, the 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 people that were in Los Angeles before showbiz, right? <laughs> uh, so it's a it's that 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 campus is kind of a special place, I think. So I had a great high school experience as a finger quotes normie, uh, and discovered that I could write. I discovered that I was a uh, a uh, uh, good. I there were a couple of. Um, creative writing uh, competitions within the high school that I had some success in. And then the paper was nationally ranked. There were a couple of awards at uh, journalism conventions. And it, this was going to be the thing that I was going to do. I'm like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to write, I'm going to be a journalist. And then Mr. Bowie, uh, I turned 18 uh, with um, several hundred thousand dollars uh, in the bank. Uh, and I started smoking weed. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> and so I didn't go to uh, Johns Hopkins where I was um, accepted, uh, you know, helpfully because my father was a, an alumni. My grandfather had been a research fellow there, uh, but I didn't I didn't go to Baltimore in 91. Uh, I stayed in Los Angeles and uh, and uh, chased girls and uh, smoked a lot of marijuana <laughs> and got back into the acting game. talked a little bit about putting stuff out into the world and being proud of your work um good a time as any to ask about the garbage pail kids <laughs> um and i don't mean that in like a facetious way i just this is i you can't find it i was looking online and i'm sure if i went to like some hardcore turkish bit torrent site i could find it <laughs> but i'm not gonna do that i could find clips of it you can find the trailer um it's buried um but I mean, it was already a kind of a controversial brand. I, I'm old enough to remember that, like, it was viewed as like, you know, the the worst thing since rock and roll music hit the suburbs. You know, it was mm -hmm. viewed as like these these are the opposite of the Cabbage Patch Kids. They're terrible. They're a terrible influence, etc. Mm -hmm. um, but then you end up doing this movie. Anthony Newley is in the movie. Mm. Well, uh, was that on a summer off of Facts of Life? Precisely between okay uh, between I believe it's eighth and ninth uh, seasons, um, and uh, I, I imagine it's somewhat similar in this day and age. But uh, in in that day and age, if you were working as a a, a regular on a on a TV show uh, when the show was on hiatus during the summer, you did a you did a movie uh, that yeah. was, or if things were going well, you did a movie. Uh, and so uh, I uh, auditioned for and uh, and got a part in the Tops uh, uh, trading card production of Garbage Pail Kids, uh, the movie. Now, uh, I, I'm thrilled with the segue because um, so quickly on the heels of me tooting my uh, horn about being a, a, a you know a, a, an awarded uh, journalist and creative writer in high school. Um, one would think that my sense of aesthetics would be a little more fine-tuned than my to read intention that. was not to humble you. I'm just trying to give a no. comprehensive look at a career here. <laughs> it was like you would think that I would read the script and go, "Oh, this is this is well, this is a piece of garbage." Well, but I didn't. I I read it and I thought, "Ooh, lead of a film," and I, you know, or ask, uh, you know, main character in a film. I th I think. 
you know, obviously it's plays a larger role in my you know brain, but but the the, the cards conceptually were, were taking the piss out of the commercial popularity of the Cabbage Patch Kids. They were they were directly it was in a direct assault by the artists, uh, uh, in particular Art Spiegelman, um, at the commercial nature of those of those kids. You know there there were this was. You know, there were there were people fighting each other in line for, to get them because it was the last one to give to their kids, and you had to have it, and you had to have it. Uh, and so, you know, the garbage pail kids as a concept was sort of making fun of that. And so Art Spiegelman like, was behind it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Art Spiegelman, Pulitzer Prize winner for for Mouse, the uh, incredibly moving Holocaust memoir. Art Spiegelman. Ding. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Carry on. So so no, but I mean for real, like the the guys that the, the original artists were we're saying something about what we're doing with materialism, what, with what, with what's happening in, with commercialism, wh what's happening to, you know, uh, what we're doing, how ugly we, we actually can be. And um, how ugly we're making our kids that they crave this item. Because they have to have that thing with the signature on the foot that, you know, it's, it's like, so they were, you know, and so there was, I think in my head, a part of, um, you know, of thinking that it was going to be a cool movie is 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 an associate an understanding of 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 that um, aspect of of the garbage pill kids the the cards the the artwork behind the cards. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, unfortunately, uh, that was not what translated to the screen, uh, hmm. nor was it <clears throat> what was on the page. Um, there's an incredible interview that I read with Rod Amato, Rodney Amato, who was the director of the Garbage Pail Kids movie, an interview shortly before he passed away in the early aughts um, uh, that I read, uh, not until the teens, um, where there's a, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but it was something like, oh, no, that was a money job. Everybody knew we're just trying to make our pensions. You know, we knew it was a piece of shit. We were, do we were just, you know, we're just trying to make our pensions, which, you know, is an understandable thing to do. But sure. The, the little 13 year old, I think I turned 14 during production, was, mm. you know, dead set on making the Goonies. Right. Little oh, wow. <laughs> Which is an extra layered goal for you, isn't it? Right. Yeah. That's so right. that Wow. So it's all there's, it's the siblings. This thing is still there. So, aha. Uh. Uh -huh. So it, uh, there was also, you know, uh, I don't think I'm speaking at a turn, even though I didn't see any of it uh, in person uh, at the time. But looking back, it, it's also clear that there was probably a lot of cocaine going around, uh, both in the in the uh, conception of the screenplay, the execution of the screenplay, and in the execution of the of, of the film. Um, huh. There's something knew, you can see in a lot of '80s movies that we call cocaine editing. Yes, where it's just like, wait, why is that cut there? What are we? Why are we over here now? What is? Where is right. everyone standing right. in this relation to each other? Huh? <laughs> right. Precisely. Yeah, that's that's all throughout uh, the Garbage Pail Kids movie. Um, my dad's favorite story uh, to tell uh, about this whole debacle uh, is the, the 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 Daily News, which was the paper in the San Fernando Valley. Um, their their headline, and I, you know, I, I guess listeners should know ahead of time uh, that that I, I, he either won a Tony for or was famous for Anthony Newley uh, for, uh, for a, a play and a, a song. Uh, what kind of fool am I? Right from the New York uh, the, the world. I want to get off. That's it. Boom. So uh, the Daily News in the San Fernando Valley uh, 
headlined their review of the Garbage Pail Kids with, now I know. Oh, no. <laughs> what kind of fool Anthony Newley is. Bless him. What a dear, dear man and cordial and friendly and, and outgoing and wonderful and uh, a shepherd to me during the production. Um, you know, I, I, I certainly didn't have the awareness uh, of what was actually happening at the time. Uh, he, he did. Um, but, you know, he was taking a, a, a big old paycheck and trying to make the best of it. Um, he looks like he I mean, you see the trailer in a couple of clips. He's having a blast. We yeah, I mean, it, I, I didn't ever see him say, oh, fuck, I can't believe I'm doing this. You know, he he, he made he made he absolutely made the best of it. Um, it's just the the the, the it um, that he was trying to make the best of uh, started with SH. <laughs> sure. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair well, enough. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm loving listening to you talk about guys like Anthony Newley. Um, the question I'm about to ask you is going to take on a different color, uh, asking it of you as someone who's been around the business for so long. Were there sort of were there supporting actors, character actors that you watched growing up that you really whose work you really admired? And you're like, oh, that guy, I want to do what he does. I was a huge Bogart fan when I was little, mm. little, um, but it was Peter Laurie that actually uh, like kind of, you know, I, I loved how cool Bogart would be just standing there spitting out a page and a half of stuff with a cigarette dangling from his lip, uh, you know, plot points calling this person, that person, you know, just this incredible, you know, litany of stuff being so cool. And it's out like that. And then it would cut to Lori. And the pace was a little slower but you were so completely drawn into whatever he was doing. Like he just, oh, and you know, I'm sure it's a function of the shape of his face in some ways, but like- Those incredibly what, huge eyes oh, that were so expressive. What a gift, what a gift that man is, uh, was. It was, is, still is, uh, in perpetuity. A little later, so that was when I was young, young. A little later, uh, I was introduced to uh, a film called, oh, that's right, I, well, I, I wanted to, uh, Elias Cateus. And yeah. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm, his, I've never known. I, I've never known how to pronounce his last name either. I first remember seeing him in some kind of wonderful. Some kind of wonderful. He's, I mean, he's the skinhead Duncan. Right. Who is yeah. so incredibly accessible like that. So his performance, I, I remember thinking I'm not, I'm not watching somebody act. That's just that dude. You know, the, like the the ease with which he was in every scene and, you know, also playing such a great part because he's, you know, you would think a bad guy, but such a good guy, uh, but so freaking accessible. I remember being blown away by that. Here's another one that uh, that falls sort of into that uh, category, but not as a good guy. Um, and I had to look up his name, but uh, one of the bad guys in my bodyguard, um, the bad, bad guy. Hank Salas is his name. And I think the character's name is uh, either Matt or Mike. He's the one that comes and kicks Adam Baldwin's ass um, the first time I, I, early in the film. And he is so terrifying uh, uh, in that movie. He's so, you know, it's, it's the it's it's the it's the guy who beats up the bodyguard in my body. Right. Right. Um, right. Before the big before the big finish. So there's like Matt Dillon is a bad guy. But then there's the guy Matt Dillon goes to get to like close the deal. And that's an actor named Hank Salas. Uh, who, I, who. Oh, uh, I got him. Yeah. This guy's incredible. What a so, face on him. And that was yeah. another 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 performance that is just so easy. There's no he's not acting. You know what I mean? It's just it's 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 so completely accessible. As we get a little older, Joe Morton, 
in Love Brother John from Another Marley. Planet. That yeah, movie, the John Sayles movie. John Sayles actually comes up on this on this podcast quite a bit, believe how it or not, because he not? he's because oh. he's such a a great um, hirer of of the sort of people we want to talk to here. Yeah. But Joe Morton, I just watched uh, T two again, right, right, um, and he has on a number of levels the weight of that film on his oh. shoulders, and and, and carries it, shoulders yeah. it. Until yeah. his until his dying, <laughs> trying know, to stay on as long oh, as he possibly it's can. So it incredible! An, I, and I don't. Know I had heard I'm, once that Denzel passed on that role because he thought it was too small, and I was like, you know, that's a blessing because Joe Morton goes in and destroys that part. Well, that's the thing about the right person getting the part. Yeah. So a little bit later, uh, oh, I also think Jonathan Banks is worth uh, a mention here. Uh, just as Max. a bad guy who is so incredible as a bad guy. You just, yeah, just well, so I mean, he's having such a great, you know, Breaking Bad gave him such a wonderful little yes. renaissance, but he was, back in the 80s when comedy action movies were genuinely terrifying, where the bad right. guys were really right. fucking bad, when he shows right. up in Beverly Hills Cop, right? he chills that <gasps> film to its marrow. So, so scary, so scary, so scary. Um, But, th- but then, but now I'm going to go to a, a film that, um, that is rife. That is uh, lousy with character actors. Um, that uh, that is uh, influential in my uh, worldview, um, and it's it's kind of funny uh, because I like to believe that it's in a different manner than a lot of people think. Slapshot. Okay. Directed by George Roy Hill. Right. Yeah. Of who, course. Uh, reuniting him with Paul Newman from yes, The Sting course. and from Butch Cassidy. But, you know, and and it has as its lead as Reggie Dunlop, uh, Paul Newman, who you cannot even come close to touching with anything ever because he's just the greatest ever. Sure. But all the way through that cast are a whole bunch of people turning in spectacular, real, real performances. Michael Ankeen, yeah. uh, Jennifer Warren is so good in that movie, so That's real right. in that movie. Um, uh, Strother Martin. Uh, you know who who is incredible in everything he does. Brad Sullivan is so good in Slapshot, playing such a skeevy, creepy skeeve. So my whole my whole thing about Slapshot is that it is one of the most grossly under misunderstood films in history, and people How love so? it. Well, <laughs> it's almost uh, like an objective correlative. Uh, it's almost like what happens in the film. So Reg Dunlop tries to get the team uh, to make the team win so they can get sold because they don't have an, or the, the owner is selling the team. I mean, first of all, if you take the script, there's like, in my opinion, written by a woman, which is important, Nancy Dowd, uh, the larger. That's story. an underreported fact. That is oh, an man, underreported that's the fact that that is written yeah. by a woman. So like, you know, if you, if you squint, you don't have to look too hard to recognize the idea. You know, the, the, the main thing in the plot is they're trying to figure out who owns the team. Now. So, so, if, if you look at uh, human beings uh, wondering about their um, existence, uh, you know, like the whole is there a God kind of question, it's not that far of a stretch to look at who owns the team as a nice little uh, nod to that, right? As it turns out, it's a woman that owns the team, which I think is another nice touch. What happens in the film is uh, Reg gets these, you know, the, the Hanson brothers uh, who turn out to be violent criminals, um, uh, but they help the team win because they're uh, beating people up and the crowd goes fucking crazy for the violence now in my opinion the movie is about crowds going crazy for violence and drinking too much 
uh, and the existential question, you know, who's in charge, who owns the team. Now, Interesting. maybe I'm maybe I'm wanting to read too much into this. Maybe I was just high enough when I saw it the first time. <laughs> That'll do it. Go ahead. But, but what happened was when the film came out, people went crazy for the fighting. Yeah. And so so there's a, there, you know, one of the big scenes in the movie when Reg finally finds the lady <clears throat> that owns the team and she says that she's worried about the fighting she's worried she says it's almost i think i remember it she says i have a theory that children repeat what they see on television they see someone stick up a bank they stick up a bank so she she doesn't she doesn't want the team to continue because the violence is turning her off and people getting obsessed with the violence is turning her off um and she's right and Poor Reg Dunlop, a fallible human being, immediately in that moment makes the most misogynistic comment I think that the actor has ever made in his life. Uh, 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 what does he say? Uh, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're fucked. Uh, you know that? You're totally fucked. Your son looks like a faggot to me. You better get a man around here or he's going to have a cock in his mouth faster than you can say Jack Robinson. Okay. I mean, how, how gnarly is that line? To begin the with. The 70s were a different time. But said by a guy who's trying to de- defend his manliness. Yeah. You know what I mean? To to the woman who was actually in charge. So huh, the reason it's also not made up it's also not entirely like even though even though Reg says it, it's not the film doesn't make it clear that like it's on his side in that moment. Oh no, it's the, yeah. it's totally clear that the movie is not on his side in that moment. Yeah. It, and that's what's I think that's where audiences have uh, difficulty. Um be, because you, you know, you you love this guy for his outfits, for his charm, for 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 the for the way he's, you know, coaching the team and helping them win games and so forth, but he's also he's a man and he's fallible. And and you know, him Fearing the loss of his livelihood is enough to make him lash out at the last person in the world he needs to be lashing out at. I say it's misunderstood because people remember what most from the film. They don't remember that line. They don't remember the line that says, I have a a theory that kids repeat what they see on television. No, they remember the fighting. They remember remember the the Hanson brothers. And they remember like the homophobic slurs going around the ice. Right. It's there. I mean, this kind of goes back to the Three Stooges thing. Like that's that's what made the impression. And so and so in the film, there's an argument between the 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 team's great player, Ned Braden and Reg Dunlop, the head coach, where they're arguing about why the team is winning. And Reg Dunlop's contention is we win because I make them crazy, talking about the, the players and the fans. And Ned Ned Braden, the, the team's leading scorer, says we win because I score goals. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is the truth. And then in the beautiful denouement of the film, or not denouement, but the last scene of the film, uh, the the fight is broken. The, the big fight in the big match is broken up by a guy doing a strip tease. Right. He, he takes the, the, he unballs the fists and unfists the balls <laughs> and right. takes off all his clothes as he goes around the ring. I've never said that before, but I'm so glad it happened today. <laughs> um, and to, and I don't know. In, in my opinion, um, people didn't didn't catch the real message of the film, which is that drinking will turn you inside out, and violence is killing us. In, it's instead- interesting you you don't see Slapshot put in the context of films like Taxi Driver or Clockwork Orange or or those other kind of movies that are misinterpreted as glorifications of violence and are actually right. quite the opposite. Right, right. 
quite the opposite. And and I I, I think this it's my opinion that and I don't know this you know they're mostly gone now. But I'm of the opinion that uh, uh, George Roy Hill recognized that and and Paul Newman recognized that, and that's why they went from Butch and Sundance to this film written by an unknown woman whose older brother played minor league hockey, which is how she came to know the expressions so well. Um, and but she just captured. Nancy Dow, the writer, captured so much authenticity in uh, in the little town and in these people in the 70s. Authenticity that was, um, you know, absolutely brought to the screen um, elegantly. So by people like Brad Sullivan, Jennifer Warren, Michael on Keen, uh, and even the, the Emmett Walsh is in there. Emmett Walsh, Dickie yeah. Dunn. It's so funny because like. <laughs> I, I realized that I, I have probably sounded like I'm pleading for the last 45 minutes. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 this is exactly what this podcast does best is people, people go deep on, on something they're really passionate about. And, uh, like I haven't seen it since I saw it cut to ribbons on network TV as a kid. Ooh, so I'm absolutely uh, watching it this a, week. Tr- a tr- huge crime that, yeah, if you can yeah. find it or well, uncut uh, and re-ribboned, um, you know, and, and and yes, yes, there are some some gross uh, caricatures within the film. Yes, there are certainly some over the top for comedic effect moments in the film. But there's an authenticity to each and every one of those members of the of the hockey team and their wives um, and the, the guy that writes for the paper and the broadcaster um, that are. It's just an elegant, elegant movie that I think got corrupted by its own attempt to address the corruption of violence. Interesting. <laughs> People remember the punches. <laughs> um, you brought up the idea of the right person uh, getting uh, the right role. And maybe the movie works at all because Paul Newman's in that lead. Or maybe mm-hmm. the problem is that Paul Newman is in that lead. And we, this is, you know, St. Paul. How do we possibly, you know, how can he possibly, even when he plays a bank robber, he's so goddamn charming. How can we possibly he? root against him? Ugh. It's complicated. Um, what was you've got years of experience, such an enviable resume of like so, you know, this amazing prestige television here. We didn't even get to Homeland. Um, but was there a part that that slipped through your fingers that maybe you got close to? It doesn't have to be something that keeps you up at night. But was there somewhere like ah, oh, that would have been fun? So yeah, I mean, there's shit. Uh, the the list is long and distinguished. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to have you know what i i take pride in the fact that i came anywhere near distinguished roles you know I, oh. I i i don't know how close i came but i sent my sizes to the wardrobe department on avatar i don't know how close i came That's i just know good. that they wanted a full body shot and they wanted my sizes in New Zealand. And then that was the last I heard of it, but that's, I'll take it as a win. That's pretty close. That's pretty good. I mean, sending sizes is close. So, you know, I had the good fortune to, to be successful as a kid. And then I had the good fortune to be a little bit successful as a, as a young man. Um, and I ended up, uh, with a, with a, at a pretty good agency, uh, when I was 19, I was with, uh, you know, I was at a smaller place before then, and, and then um, uh, the director of this Disney movie I did named um, uh, Iron called Iron Will. Uh, he was represented by some folks at um, at William Morris, and uh, and the folks at William Morris came up uh, and hung out in Minnesota where we filmed for a little bit. And I, I was, you know, nineteen and uh, just as cool as can be in my own head. But I also played pool and drank and like. These agents were there and I, I made a few jokes. And the next thing I know, uh, William Morris wants to sign me. So I had a great agent. I was with a very big, uh, you know, agency when I was 19 and 20. And I was, you know, I was a finger quote, successful 
uh, child actor. So I had a lot of incredible opportunities. But I can tell you unequivocally, hands down and without a doubt, that they hired the right guy for Titanic. Wow. That they hired the right guy for What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Yeah, the little brother. Wow. That they, that they hired the right guy for Primal Fear. Oh, that wow. They, that they hired the right guy for uh, American History X. That they hired the right guy for Goodwill Hunting, which I read the script. I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever, ever, ever. And then I found out that the guys who wrote it were acting in it. Uh, which were you, you going to go? Were, were they seeing? Oh, because they they weren't guaranteed those roles, though. I they were guaranteed so, that they they sold the script. But they weren't guaranteed those roles. Did you read for Will Hunting? I, I never read for it. As soon as as soon as uh, like I just read the script, but uh, then uh, uh, but, but then it became clear that you know the manager had said uh, no. It's the the two guys that that wrote it that are going to be uh, playing the parts. Um, they they hired the right guy. They hired the right. They, they they've hired the right guy. <laughs> <laughs> if, if there's if there's one, I mean, you know what I mean. That's the only at, way to live, though. You like Joel David Moore got the part I went out for in um, Avatar. I've lost right. roles to him before. He does something I cannot do. Right. Um, he, right. he has a wonderful, striking look, and you have to just sort of let go, let God with that stuff. I I got to work with Juliette Lewis a little bit later on uh, um, a movie called uh, The Evening Star, which was the sequel, sequel or continuation to uh, Last of Picture terms Show of, terms uh, to Terms of Endearment. Uh, Terms of endurance, sorry. And uh, and I mentioned to Juliet that I had uh, uh, read, uh, for, you know, or actually I think I said I was embarrassed to think that my audition tape for What's Eating Gilbert Grape exists somewhere after having seen what uh, DiCaprio did. And she's like, oh, honey, he's just somebody else. <laughs> that, that, was, that was my Juliet. It's not a bad Juliet Lewis at all, actually. But then, that's, that's, but then <laughs> you know, you look. I look at Edward Norton's performance in Primal Fear and that was way fucking better than what I was doing. For sure, for sure, for sure. So like, they hired the right guy. If there's one that I really, really wanted to play and, and was bummed that I didn't get, although they did hire the right guy, Bubble Boy. <laughs> the one that Jake, that kind of broke Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. it was such a, such a fun, 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 fun script. Um, and I remember uh, really being bummed that I didn't get it. I remember being bummed I didn't get Powder. Uh, you're probably to... better off you didn't get powder. <laughs> it turned out. It turns out. I'm not going to get into it, but I encourage the listener to Google powder director allegations and uh, see how that goes. Yeah, it didn't um. go well. <laughs> but yeah, so there's myriad stuff that has gotten away. Um, but, but you know, like like my old man says, like my mom always said, like Sean says, you, you can't you can't focus on those things because they'll prevent you from getting the one that's coming your way. I want to leave it right there. That's beautiful. Perfect. Mac, I can't thank you enough for doing this. This was a goddamn delight. Come back and talk to us again. It would be a privilege. And that is a wrap on Mackenzie Aston. You can follow him at Mackenzie Aston on Twitter and over on Instagram. He's at Mackenzie underscore Aston. Don't you hate when that happens? Forever. Dog. Household Faces is a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by John Ross Bowie, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Produced by Ben Blacker. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. 
Until next time, when's lunch? Mm.